This morning's readings come from excerpts from 1 Samuel 18, 19, and 20. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that he was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Well, again, good morning. I'm glad you're here. Uh, if this is your first time or you just started coming, uh, we are in a series in First and Second Samuel in our third, uh, fourth week of this series in the life of David. Uh, and so I'm glad you're here as we get uh, more deeply into this narrative in First and Second Samuel. I don't know if you, any of you are familiar with self-determination theory. Uh, self-determination theory, it's the study uh, of human motivation and human personality, very broad field. But according to self-determination theory, all human beings have three basic psychological needs. A need for autonomy which means a sense of one's own volition and choice and willingness. The second need is a need for relatedness, to feel related to others in some way or another. And then the last basic psychological need is a need for competence, a mastery 
of one's own environment. And the passage that Gabriel, Gabriel just read over chapters 18, 19, and 20, it addresses the first two of these basic needs, autonomy and relatedness. And it addresses one in a positive way and the other in a very threatening way. So let me start this morning by, by addressing the need for relatedness. And this morning I want to zone in on friendship in particular as we see the friendship of David and Jonathan. Uh, our culture, it doesn't do friendship very well. <laughs> uh, if you were to look, uh, I'm just guessing I haven't done this, but if you were to look at all the movies made over the last 10 years and pile all the movies about romantic love into a pile, and compare them into all the movies made about friendship, romantic love would pile over, would tower over friendship. The same could be true about songs that were written, right? Romantic love would tower over songs about friendship. Now, there may be songs about, you know, going out with people and having a good time, but that's more about companionship and experience than I would say deep, meaningful friendship. We've devalued, uh, devalued this meaning of friendship in our culture so much that friend is, is now a verb and something you can do with the click of a button. On Facebook, I, I am now your friend. I will friend you. We have thousands of friends on Facebook. And again, I would say these are companions and acquaintances and networks, not deep, meaningful friendships. So let me recap where we are in 1 Samuel, uh, if you haven't been here. We, we have seen in 1 Samuel already, Saul was the first anointed king over Israel. But the Lord's favor is now upon David, and Saul brings David into a service as a, as a musician, and David's this mighty warrior who, as a boy, slays the giant Goliath, and Saul takes notice of David. And David is praised, and he becomes the chief commander in Saul's army, but soon everybody is celebrating David, and Saul burns with jealousy and envy, which Timothy preached on last week. Saul attempts six assassinations of David. Three times with the javelin, two times luring David into battle, and one time Saul sends a hit squad after David. I mean, if I were David, one javelin throw and I'd be gone. But David remains because he knows God has a calling on his life. Throughout all the murderous plotting on David, there is a friendship between David, the shepherd boy, who's been anointed king, who has slain the giant, and Jonathan the son of Saul, who was the rightful heir to the throne and to the kingdom of Israel. And in the middle of this relationship, this friendship, there is David's darkness and madness and hardship. Eugene Peterson makes the point that chapter 18 begins and chapter 20 ends with David and Jonathan's friendship, that their relationship brackets the most trying and difficult time in David's life. So the Bible makes it clear that we were created for relatedness. Scripture would agree here with self-determination theory of this basic psychological need that we need others. We need friendships. Now, if you were to create a, a spectrum of people in your life, starting here and kind of working all the way over, from strangers that you'll see once to acquaintances to people you see regularly to maybe coworkers and neighbors to kind of pretty good friends to real friends, to best friends, to family. Right, that's the spectrum. Now, some of you actually might switch family and best friends because of your family dynamic. But if, if it were to go from here all the way over, I think our passage this morning uses a term throughout it that would move that spectrum over one more click. 
I don't know if you picked up on the term as Gabrielle read it. It's the term covenant. David and Jonathan had a covenantal friendship. Uh, that word covenant, I think it's probably odd to most of you here. Uh, it was not odd in the ancient Near East. This term covenant is what is the, the very thing that's threatening to self-determination theory's claim that one of our most basic needs is autonomy. See, autonomy wants personal freedom personal choice. It's the view of self being completely unencumbered. Covenant is a term that the Bible uses to describe the relationship of God with his people, this vertical relationship, which we saw in baptism this morning, and I'm going to come back to later. But in our passage in 18, 19, and 20 of 1 Samuel, it describes the relationship of David and Jonathan, this horizontal relationship. Covenant is a lifelong, tenacious steadfast love bond between two people. At first, I wanted to make this sermon all about friendship, the friendship between David and Jonathan, because I think most of us are not really good at genuine deep friendships. And I'm going to push on us in that regard in friendships, but I kept coming back to this term covenant. And I, and I think it helps us to understand the type of friendship David and Jonathan really have. And, and so I'm going to apply it to friendship, but I'm going to broaden it in some other ways. I don't know if you can think about covenant relationships that you might have currently, even if that word makes some sense to you. I, I, the first two that immediately came to my mind, the first is church membership. Not all of you here are members of Christ Central or members of another church, but if you've joined Christ Central Church, you were asked membership questions, and you were charged with being in covenant with God and in covenant in this community. You vowed to covenant with one another. So that's one relationship that I would want to address this morning. And then the second, again, not for everybody, but for, for a number of you, is if you're married. When you said your vows, you said, I do promise and covenant from this day forward. So I'm going to push on friendship, but I also want to push into these covenant relationships that many of us have. Now here's the very thing about covenant and why it's threatening to our sense of autonomy is that there will be times in your life and my life when you feel like others are just getting in the way of you being you, <laughs> right? Amen. They're blocking your freedom to be you. It could be your friends who are doing that, church relationships that are doing that, your marriage. And you'll want your autonomy. And you'll find yourself in these covenant relationships hitched to a person who is getting in the way of you being you. And the frustrating thing about these relationships is that, that other person is sinful, <laughs> And you are too, right? We're both sinful. Autonomy is why we find it hard to commit to a person. Whether that be in a true deep friendship, or if that means committing to a church to be a faithful member, or if that means committing in marriage to be a faithful spouse. Because it's scary. It's scary. Because what you're getting is a messed up friend who will fail you. And what you're getting is a messed up church that will fail you. And what you're getting is a messed up spouse who will fail you. But I want to tell you that according to the Bible, we were created for relatedness and for covenant, not autonomy. And it's beautiful. It is a beautiful thing. And I want to look at three things this morning about covenant. The purpose of covenant, the picture of covenant, and then the power to live into covenant. So let's look first at the purpose of covenant. When everybody was born into this world, no matter who you are, the first thing that people wanted from us was what? What was the first thing people wanted from you? 
to hold you. Right? The first thing for all of us that people wanted from us was to hold us. We were lovable. And love is fundamental and it's the background in which everything else in our world is played out for God so loved the world. Right? But it doesn't take long in this world that we live and sooner or later we find ourselves treated as a rival or as an enemy and we realize that not all people share God's attitude towards us. We find ourselves being criticized and teased and avoided and attacked or abused and abandoned. Life can be hard. Love's fundamental. But we realize that hardship is the actual condition we find ourselves in more often. David's experience with hardship was one of the most powerful influences in his life. The way David prayed, David's intimacy with God, David's trust and faith in God can all be accounted for by his facing hardship. And in the midst of hardship, David had a great friend. He had a covenant friend, Jonathan. I think it's highly unlikely that David would have persisted and persevered without Jonathan. You know, the Hebrew word, that's used in our passage to describe covenant relationship is the Hebrew word hesed. It's a beautiful Hebrew word, which means loyal love, steadfast love, a love that's not scared off, a love that says, I will never give up. I'm with you and for you, and I will remember you kind of a love. The singer-songwriter that I really enjoy, Josh Garrels, and he wrote a song titled Bread and Wine, and he sings this. He says, I was wrong. Everybody needs someone. To hold. Take my hand. I've been a lonesome man. Took a while to understand. If I fall, I fall alone. But two can help bear the load. A threefold cord is hard to break. All I have I give to you. If you will share your sorrows too, then joy will be the crown upon our heads, my friend. My friend. Fellow member of Christ Central Church. My spouse. You see, the purpose of covenant is to bind us together in protection, to bind us together when we feel weak and alone, to bind us together in love. The purpose of covenant is to help you endure and persevere. It is the very thing that will help us trust God. Amen. Now, two weeks ago, I, I told you that David entered the Valley of Allah in this battle with Goliath, and uh, he had this God-dominated imagination that his world was God's world. That was the real world. He, he didn't fear Goliath. David's God-dominated imagination is confirmed, I think, by, by his covenant with Jonathan. It's confirmed. So the evil of Saul, these, these assassination attempts and attacks upon David's life didn't weigh him down. Doesn't get inside of him. Instead, his covenant friendship with Jonathan reminds him, God is for you, God is with you, he will not fail you. Amen. Covenant relationships, which at times can feel quite threatening, and scary, the very thing God gives us to allow us to persevere and trust Him. Let's look secondly at the picture of covenant. I think there are at least four sides to this frame of the picture of covenant. At least four. I think the first that I'll point out is that there's common passion. Common passion. Look at chapter 18, verse 1. It says, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Jonathan didn't know David that well at this point. How in the world could his soul be knit to David? How could he love him as his own soul? Well, 1 Samuel 14, which we didn't look at this morning, gives us a picture of Jonathan 
Jonathan going into battle against the Philistines. And this is what Jonathan shouts. Come, the Lord has given them into our hands. The Lord will work for us. Nothing can hinder the Lord. Two weeks ago, we looked at David's battle with Goliath. And what did David shout as he entered into the valley of Allah with Goliath? He shouted, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, for the battle is the Lord's. See, Jonathan sees the shepherd boy go into battle with the same passion to fight for the honor of the Lord and to trust that the Lord will win the battle. Great friends are absorbed in common interest and common passions. C.S. Lewis famously said that the typical expression of friendship is what? You too? You see, my greatest friends are people who know me in my depth and say, me too. And then they affirm and call me to move towards more. Now take church membership, covenant relationship that we could be in. All who are members of Christ Central should share a common passion as a covenant people. The honor and the glory of God in and through us. We are committed to, to one another to fight for God's honor in and through us. Take marriage. If you're in this covenant, there's a common passion, or at least there should be, to love and honor and cherish the other in sickness and in health, a shared passion to form in the other that which God created the other to be for God's glory. Common passion is the first side to this frame of the picture of covenant. Let's look at the second side, which is loyalty. Chapter 18, verse 3, Jonathan made a covenant with David the Hebrew there to make a covenant is to cut, to cut a covenant. In the ancient Near East, to, to make a covenant, what you would do is you would cut an animal in half, literally tear it in two, and both parties would walk through the cut animals and they would declare, if I do not keep my word, let me be like these animals. The covenant was a bond and a pledge of loyalty to the other. It's about what you give to the other. It's a big point because most of us live with a consumer mindset in relationships. Long as I gain something, as long as this person meets my needs, but loyalty and pledging and covenant, it's not a means unto an end. It is the end itself, steady and constant despite circumstances, loyal to the other. Here's the third side of this picture of covenant. It's costly. Look at verse 4 of chapter 18. It says, Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, and he gave it to David in his armor, and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Jonathan is surrendering his position to David. He takes off the royal robe, which was Jonathan's rightful garb. He was the rightful heir. But he takes off the robe, he gives it to David. Takes off his armor, gives it to David. Makes himself completely vulnerable, no protection. And not only does he make himself vulnerable, but he gives David his sword and his bow, allowing the possibility of death. Chapters 19 and 20 show us that Jonathan had to choose between his own father Saul and his friend David. Saul wants to kill David, have Jonathan to be king, but Jonathan chooses David over his own father. See, covenant relationships will cost you. They will cost you. Standing up for a friend will cost you your reputation. Listening to someone in church or, or helping someone who's in need might cost you your time or your money or your ability to go to the next appointments that you have 
Loving your spouse above yourself will cost you in many ways. A good friend, a committed covenant church member, a spouse shows up when needed. They say, I will be there even if it costs me. Here's the fourth side of the picture of covenant. It's affection. Look at chapters 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 41. It says, as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground, and he bowed three times, and they kissed one another, and they wept with one another, David weeping the most. Deep covenant relationships causes the heart to be engaged. The picture of David and Jonathan, they're hugging. They're weeping, and they're kissing, which might seem a bit odd and weird to us. Some have even tried to hint that more was going on in David and Jonathan's relationship, some type of sexual affair. But I think it's odd to us because we aren't familiar with these type of deep friendships. We're not familiar with covenant relationship. We're not good at showing affection. In particular, let me pick on some men. Uh, It's not only men, but I want to pick on men because I'm a man and I understand this. We don't allow ourselves, men, to show affection in our hearts like we should. I've always found it funny how at rehearsal dinners, some of you haven't been to a wedding in a while, but at a rehearsal dinner, at least in the South where I grew up, uh, at rehearsal dinners, everybody gives toasts. And I always find it funny that when groomsmen stand up to toast a groom and they start sharing from their heart, these guys are all, like, they're all of a sudden like dumbfounded why they're crying. Guys just start crying as they're sharing their heart for another, another guy, another good friend. It's because they're being forced to express their affection that's always been there but is difficult to reveal. Amen. So let me just say across the board, men and women, we don't need to wait for big moments, rehearsal dinners or celebrations or anniversaries to share our affection with friends, with people in our church community, and even our spouses. Lastly, let's look at how in the world can we live like this. How can we live like this in covenant? We'll look at the power to live in covenant. See, when we put ourselves, if we're honest, we put ourselves against the backdrop of 1 Samuel, we have to admit, I'm not the friend that I should be. I'm not the church member that I should be. I'm not the spouse that I should be. In the relationship of David and Jonathan, it was mostly David's game. Yet Jonathan took the initiative. Jonathan sacrificed. Jonathan remained loyal. So if you're looking around and you're complaining about not having friends or having the type of friends that you want, or you're complaining about our church not being what you want it to be, or you're complaining about your marriage not being what you want it to be, you're focused on the wrong thing. Because we gain in these relationships not from receiving, but primarily from giving. The night before Jesus died, he was trying to get across to his disciples what he was going to give them. At the Last Supper, Jesus says, Tonight, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. I'm laying down my life for my friends. One writer comments that when Jesus said this suddenly, the whole history of the world can be understood in terms of friendship or covenant relationship. The biblical God was friendship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He made His creatures to be friends or in covenant relationship with each other and with Him. But we turn away from God. And when we betray a friend, usually he or she turns away from us. But Jesus says, I am the ultimate friend who will never turn away from you. 
And this is why. Jonathan and David cut a covenant, right? They both walked through it. They both said, let me be torn if I don't keep my word. The earliest description of covenant that we have in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 15, where God makes a covenant with Abram, who becomes Abraham. And in that moment, Abram cuts up lots of animals, tears them apart. It's bloody, tears them apart. And you expect in Genesis 15, God and Abram to go walking through those pieces together. But God puts Abram into a deep sleep. (laughs) So deep he can't wake up. So deep he can't do anything. And while asleep, God appears in the night as a fire pot. And God passes through the pieces. And God declares, I'm making a covenant with you, Abram, and all who will come after you. Because Abram, if you were to walk through these pieces, you'd be doomed. Because you will break the terms. So I'll go through So that when you break your covenantal terms with me and with others, the curses can fall on me. And that is exactly what happened as Jesus hung with his arms wide open on the cross. Because we don't keep our word, Jesus was torn. His body on that tree, our curses fell upon him. And David and Jonathan's relationship, it cost Jonathan. It cost him. He gave up what was rightfully his, the kingship. He was the heir, but he gave it up. Jesus was the rightful king, enthroned above, yet he gave up his life. Sacrificial death for us. Jonathan gains very little from his relationship with David. Jesus lost everything for us. Jonathan and David both said, the battle is the Lord's. Right? They both said, what, you too? Scripture is clear that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, well acquainted with our griefs, very acquainted with our hardship, that Jesus understands wherever you are and whatever you're going through. If you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, I'm really glad you're here, and I want you to know always that God is holding out His arms and He's calling you to come into this covenant relationship, to come and to receive all the benefits of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, His steadfast love, His loyal love, his Hesed love unto you. Hey, I will never let you go. I will never be scared off by you. I'm always with you type of love. You see, the power to live like this unto others comes as we, as we experience Jesus' passion and his loyalty and his sacrifice and his affection towards us. And I don't mean intellectually know it. A lot of you could, if I gave you a true-false test this morning, you could be like, true, 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 true. I mean deeply know it. I mean experience the love of Jesus. Have you really experienced this hessed love of God? To be able to say like David, his love is better than life. That God's love is better than life. Better than any hardships I might go go through, anything you're enduring or will go through. His love is better than what we experience in this life. By experiencing Jesus this way, we can be real and deep in our friendship unto others. Experiencing Jesus in this way will enable you to be a church, church member here at Christ Central who is faithful, not because our church is the greatest, not because we're the best, but because we're committed to love one another like Christ loved us. Amen. And I will say that if, if you're scared to join, to become a member, I'll say experiencing Jesus will enable you to step out and trust and become a covenant member, and know that it's better than being autonomous, even though our world tells us different. 
Experiencing Jesus this way also will enable you to be a spouse this way. Again, not because your spouse is going to meet all your needs and and you're going to feel loved the way you always want to feel loved and, and the ways that you demand to be loved, but because Christ's covenantal love is more real to you than the difficulties that will come in marriage. Here's the truth. There is glory and pain in friendship. There is glory and pain in being a member of a church. And there is glory and pain in marriage. We are called to live into this world wearing the lenses of the gospel of grace, the salvation that Christ has accomplished for us. And more than Jonathan's covenant relationship with David, it was God's pursuit of David that strengthened him in the hardship. Throughout section, our section of 1 Samuel, there's the repeated phrase, God was with him. God was with him. God was with him. God loved him. It's by experiencing God's love in Christ that we then can love one another. A steadfast, hesed, covenant love. And it's by this that the world will know the love of God extended to them. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would lift our eyes up to the greatest love ever displayed. Love supreme, love amazing, love so divine that it demands our soul, our life, our all. I pray that you would help us to experience Jesus even as we come into this table that would fuel us into these relationships horizontally that we have to love with the love we receive even this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.